This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Let's start uh, 2022, we're doing a series called Formed, Changed into His Image, uh, but I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, but let's start the year by reading Matthew 28, It's um, <clears throat> familiar verses, uh, and it's known as the Great Commission. Uh, you think, oh well, they always start, they always start the, year, the new year with the Great Commission, but hopefully this uh, will be interesting uh, stuff for you. So Matthew 28, verse 16, we'll start. The 11 disciples uh, traveled to Galilee. Obviously, they've been in Jerusalem, uh, and they traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Uh, I think it's where the Sermon on the Mount was, but we'll see. Anyway, when, uh, when, he, when they saw him, they worshipped, but some wavered. Interesting. Even the 11, some worshipped, some wavered. Then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all uh, peoples, uh, the word there is ethnos, it, it could be nations, peoples, groups, it means all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep or obey everything I have commanded you, and remember I'm with you always to the end of the age. Father, I just pray as we look into this passage that you would look into our hearts. Uh, that you would do heart work on us. Uh, Lord, that we wouldn't just hear these words and they just drift past us, but I pray that, that the power that, that they had when you spoke them to those first disciples, Lord, that you, they'd have that same impact on us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really excited about this teaching series. It feels like it's been uh, 10 years in the making. When we, you think, man, it is going to be long. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, I mean, I think when we first gathered, I, when we first started as a church, I sat down in, in what, the office we had then, and I, I wrote three words on, on a piece of paper. I wrote community, discipleship, and mission. And I thought, right, that's what we want to do. Uh, let's see how we'll do it. And it feels like we've been talking about discipleship. We've been talking about following Jesus, and how do you follow Jesus for like 10 years, and and it feels like, oh, well, we should, be, we should be better at it by now. But my own experience is that I am, I am more like Jesus than I was, but I'm not enough <laughs> like Jesus. And if you know me, you probably think yes. And if you're married to me, you definitely think yes. Uh, and, you know, and I think, you know, how have I been journeying to become more like Jesus? And, and I guess uh, this, what I'm going to talk about today, might feel like I've, I'm taking a name at you guys and having a pop. I'm really not. I really feel like that God's, uh, God's been speaking to me. He's been uh, prodding me and provoking me and challenging me about, about how I live and, and what's my life like. And, and, and it felt like that, that started for me afresh just before pandemic in January uh, 2020. We did this. I shouldn't lean, should I? 
Yeah, maybe I should. I don't know. Uh, I fail my teaching practice if I leaned. Um, yes, uh, it felt like we, we did this series called The Way of Jesus. I don't know. Many of you were probably not around at that time. And by pan- pandemic broke in, and you thought, I cannot remember that. Can anyone remember that graphic at all? Two people. <laughs> Brilliant. And we kind of talked about, you know, three things in that. And there's other things in there. You can go back and listen. Uh, one was to be with Jesus. Uh, was, second thing was to become like Jesus. And the third thing was to do the things that Jesus did. And it seems like, oh, that's great. And then pandemic came and chaos came and we all like, uh, and then, and, it, and we didn't really, I mean, I honestly lost my way in terms of I didn't really know what we were doing. We were just kind of getting through. We did some good stuff, but like, we're just getting through. And then when we came back, we did a series on Ezra Nehemiah about rebuilding. And that was really, I thought, really helpful. And it's kind of where we are. And then I, I didn't really know what to, what to teach on. And so last term, we did the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and I taught that, the very first teaching series that we ever did at God First, when there was about 10 of us uh, at um, Hester's Way Community Centre. If you were there in those days, Sarah's nodding, well done, Sarah, points to you. Or, I don't know, people, commiserations to you for being around for 11 years. But we, um, we did this uh, series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, and I thought, we'll do it again. And as I did the work for it, God was doing work on me. And I've had, it was very nice when lots of you said, I've really enjoyed the series and stuff, and, and I really found it helpful, and, and that's great. But actually, God always does work. I always feel like God has to do work on me before I can preach it to you. I, I, you know, I'm not saying I've, 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 I've become the person I'm encouraging you to become, but, but God's done some work on me. And what I, what I really kind of resonated with when we did the Sermon on the Mount, who was around for the Sermon on the Mount series? More of you. And... Um, it felt like that, that, that what came out of that series was God was, was asking for a, a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees' righteousness, as we talked about, was this kind of external behavior. And, and, and Jesus was saying, I, I, I'm going to move that upstream. I'm going to move that upstream. I'm going to do some work on your heart, uh, on the heart of, of every Jesus follower. And so when, when Moses stood on a mountain, um, he declares the Ten Commandments uh, written on tablets of stone. This is a bit of a recap from last term. Uh, he talks about don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie. Jesus stands on a mountain in Galilee and says, I'm going to write the, the commandments, on those commandments on people's hearts. So instead of don't uh, murder, don't have contempt for people, instead of don't commit adultery, don't, don't lust with your eyes, instead of don't steal, don't love money and don't serve money, instead of don't lie, don't be a fake, don't be a hypocrite. And, 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 and it felt like, he, I'd never really seen it before, but Jesus is almost like digging into the kind of two big promises of the Old Testament uh, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and we talked about this, I'll just read them to you. For Ezekiel, uh, it's very handy that Jeremiah 31, 31, it's easy to remember 31, 31. It says, I will put my law in their minds and, say it with me, write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In other words, this sense of God's at work where his people, he's going to do some stuff on our hearts. And then Ezekiel eleven nineteen, which is, um, a kind of, again, something that perhaps you don't read as often as Jeremiah, but, but it says, I'll give them an undivided heart. And I actually, I thought, oh, I didn't even see that when I, I did a sermon called The Undivided Heart, when it says no one can serve two masters, don't be anxious. I talked about the undivided heart. I didn't even know it was in there. 
uh, that in Ezekiel, obviously the Spirit of God was helping me, and says, I'll put my Spirit in them, I'll remove from them the heart of stone, in other words, tablets of stone, and give them a heart of flesh. And read this, and they will... Is it gone? Come back. When, when Joe says, uh, look for somebody who knows what they're doing, obviously that's a real stress at this church, isn't it? Uh, anybody? Know? Joe, you know what you're doing. Okay, it's just gone. Is that because the projector's gone? And the 18 hours work uh, of, of putting these PowerPoints together has just died. I could have watched um, The Masked Singer, couldn't I? <laughs> anyway, there you go. There'll be lots of quotes. You're going to have to listen up. Could somebody try and get the techie person to see if we can find fix it? Okay, they're trying to fix it. Okay, good. Okay, so, um, so it says, Then I will follow my decrees. Then they will, I'll put my spirit in them. They'll follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus has his disciples to go from Jerusalem to Galilee. It says, Go to the mountain that I will show you. I think, why does Jesus have them go from Jerusalem to Galilee, because he actually doesn't ascend into heaven from Galilee, he ascends from the Mount of Olives. So why does, uh, Jesus is buzzing around, so it's not a big journey for him, but, but they're kind of like, they had to do like a three or four day journey to go up to Galilee. Why is he taking them back to Galilee? Why does I think he takes them back to the same mountain? Hey, he takes them back to the same mountain because I think he wants to remind them of what he said on that mountain. He wants to remind them of the Sermon on the Mount that he said on that mountain because he's going to give them some instructions, the instructions that we read uh, uh, at the beginning. And so Jesus takes them back to the mountain and reminds them of of his sermon on disciple-making. It says the 11 disciples travelled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some wavered. Interesting. I never even saw that before. 11, some worshipped, some wavered. You know, that, that's us, isn't it? Some of us worship, some of us waver. And he reminds them of the Sermon on the Mount. And I felt for me that, that in this, 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 this season, God's been taking me back to the mountain, taking me back to the, the place, the original place. And I think he wants to take us back to the original place to remind us of our heart commitments to live as followers of Jesus and to live as his disciples. He wants to take us back to remind us that we're, we're to build our our lives on the rock, as, as was preached to us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount series, to build our life on his teaching and to put it into practice. Anyone who hears his word and put it into practice. And he wants to do that, as he does in the Sermon on the Mount, with our hearts and our eyes and our tongues and our purses and our time and the lives we're building. And so he says to those first disciples, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep or obey everything I commanded with you, and remember I am with you to the end of the age. Okay. What did those first disciples hear when they heard all authority on heaven and earth is given to me? Go therefore and make disciples of all people. What did they hear? Actually, it'd probably be better to ask the question, what do we hear? What do we hear when we hear, go and therefore make disciples of all people, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to keep everything I've commanded you, and remember I'm with you to the end of the age. What do we hear? Yeah, 
Go on, Flick. Thank you very much. We here make people Christians. Is that what you hear? I know you think it's a trick question, and it kind of is, because you've played with me before, haven't you? But, you know, you kind of hear, well, go and, make, go and make Christians. Yeah, go and make Christians. In our culture, then, we hear, go and make a convert. Now, I don't know how, if you describe your story, and if you go and get connected, you get a chance to tell your story for five minutes, and then afterwards, if you decide to join the church, you get to have dinner with uh, one of the lead couples, and you get to tell your story in super-duper detail. And we had a meal on Friday with a lovely couple, and they tell their stories. And it's interesting, but, but if, you tell, if, if people tell their story, you know, what's your story of becoming a Christian? Do you say... I put my hand up in a meeting. Do you say, oh, I prayed the prayer at the, at, at, in a church meeting? Do you say, I went to the front of a meeting? I think for me, I've often said that, oh, I was 11 years old, I put my hand up in front of a meeting, went forward, that's when I became a Christian. And in one sense, that's, that's true. And we sort of feel like, well, if somebody's become a Christian, they've agreed to a set of beliefs or a set of ideas about Jesus. Well, I kind of believe that Jesus is God. You know, we'll do it on the Get Connected course. I, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that, that, that he, he came in the flesh. I believe he lived a perfect life. I believe he died on the cross for our sins. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe he ascended from heaven. He's coming again. And if, if you believe all that, you're in. Yeah? You're all worried, aren't you? Come on, you know that. You know you all think, yeah, that's what you believe, don't you? Yeah, it's check, 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 check. Can we baptize you? Check, 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 check. Yeah, we're in. Okay, and we think that. But actually, we, we tend not to think about... Um, <laughs> we tend not to think, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That doesn't seem to, to slip on in there, does it? I don't think we think, aha, actually a disciple is supposed to obey everything I've commanded you. So in one sense... Uh, I've had some horror stories when, when we've um, baptised people, not, not necessarily at this church, we've, we've been quite good at this church, but I remember in, in, in a church in Manchester, people would get up and we're baptising them and they'd say just nothing really. I mean, we even baptised my son and I thought, Jotham, what, you know, he's just like, it was like a comedy gig. You know, he's very funny, and I think, where's Jesus in here? Where's kind of life change? And where's repentance? Do you know what repentance means? It means metanoia, it means change your mind, it means change your mind to change your lifestyle. Where's that as part of the Christian deal? What, what about baptism? You know, you know, repentance, well that clearly is optional. I believed some ideas, so I'm definitely a Christian. What about repentance? Well, don't bother me with that, that's optional. What about baptism? You know, this symbol of dying to our old life, uh, of self-centeredness, of saying I die to my old life, I'm buried, that old life is buried, crucified with Christ, I'm risen again uh, as a new creation, a new, a new person in Christ. You think, well, it's not really my thing, you know. I'm not, I'm no, it's not my thing. I mean, that's kind of what you do at your church, but my kind of church, we did something else. You know, I was about sprinkles as a little kid, so I'm not having a pop at anybody... You know, we say, that's not really my thing. Baptism, yeah, maybe, maybe not. There's a baptism cross. Well, I can't make it, not this week. Boom. Or what about keeping and obeying everything I've commanded you? Say, now stop. Howard, you've just, you've tipped over the edge. Obey everything that Jesus has said. No, no, no. Howard, you're really becoming a legalist here. You're really getting extreme. You know, Jesus said some stuff. You know, come on, dial down. You know, I prayed a prayer. I am a Christian, I'm going to get to heaven when I die. Yeah? Now, 
I've got some quotes from this guy called Dallas Willard who died a few years ago. He was the professor of philosophy and theology at the University of Southern California. He kicks butt. <laughs> I am not trying to kick butt. He's kicked my butt, so I'm going to let him kick your butt. Can we say that? Can we say butt? It's with one T, isn't it, obviously? <laughs> We're really in trouble now. Sanctification, Lord, form me in your image. Okay, this is what he puts. He says this is, I mean, bang between your eyes here. For many decades, the church in the Western world has not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be or intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. Or one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress towards or in discipleship even after a lifetime as a church member or without any church attachment. Following Christ in his teachings and examples by his spirit as a condition of a discipleship is clearly optional. That's a quote from Dallas Willard's book called The Great Omission. The Great Omission, something's missing. You know, this is here, this is, this is the world we're in, isn't it? We know loads and loads of people say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but their life, as, as, as Willard says, uh, remains no different. There's no signs of progress towards or in towards or discipleship with Jesus, following Jesus Christ in his teaching or example by his spirit. It just seems, well, it's optional. I'm a Christian, leave me alone. A.W. Uh, Tozer, who's more, uh, kind of more acceptable in the Dallas Willard because he wrote lots of books about kind of holiness and contemplation, he said this, he expressed a similar feeling. There's a notable heresy that's come to being throughout Christian circles, the widely accepted idea that humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need him as a saviour, but we've got right to postpone our obedience to him as Lord and as long as we want. I hope Steve's not believing because I've upset him. No, he's not. He's a lovely spirited man. And then Dallas Willard then thinks, now, if you haven't got the message, he punches you between the face. And it says this classic hyperbole. He says, this heresy has created the impression that it's quite reasonable to be a vampire Christian. It's a frightening term, isn't it? To be a vampire Christian. One in effect says to Jesus, I'd like a little bit of your blood, please. But I don't care to be your apprentice or have your character. In fact, won't you excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven? Wow. Wow. This approach would have been incomprehensible to the first disciples that stood on that mountain in Galilee. The word disciple appears in the New Testament 269 times. The New Testament is a book about discipleship writ, writ, written by disciples for disciples. Of disciples of Jesus. The word Christian is found three times. Does anyone know what it means? It doesn't quite mean Christ follower. It's close. It means little Christs. It's almost a bit of a joke. Little Christ. Why did they call them Christians? Because they did and lived and looked and behaved and like Jesus. It wasn't there's a separate category called Christian and there's a category called disciple. No, the two were always one. Say yes. The first disciples knew what being a disciple truly meant. Here's, here's a little uh, bits from, uh, I think, it's, uh, 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 Matthew's Gospel. So they pulled up their boats on the shore. Is it up there? Luke, thank you. Luke 5. They pulled up their boats on the shore. Read it with me. 
left everything and followed him. Oh, come on, you're getting crazy. This is extreme now. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said, and Levi got up, left everything and followed me. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that. Here we are. I think, oh man, I've got to go to the church down the road. This guy from this Howard is crazy. Imagine the call today. I say, right, what I want you to do, I want you to leave your family and your home for extended periods. I want you to leave your employment and your income and I want you to follow Jesus. You go, hang on a minute, this is extreme now. Your, your, your family say, cult! It's a cult! What are they doing? It's a cult! Don't be ridiculous. Who's going to put the kids to bed? You know, who's going to pay the credit card bills? What about that nice holiday in Jerusalem we've booked for May? And there'd be an inquiry into Jesus' controlling leadership style, wouldn't there? Man, this guy's controlling. Leave everything and follow me. What's the matter with you? Jesus, I'm really worried about it. Those, for Jesus, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. I, I, I summarise a long paragraph into a shorter quote, because he's, he's German and he's clever. <laughs> and you're not German, nor are you clever. No, you're clever, actually, most of you. It says, Be in no doubt, following Jesus wasn't simply a spoken confession of faith in Jesus. I mean, it is that. It is that. It is that. Following Jesus wasn't a theory, but a radically obedient action. The call to follow Jesus, to follow me, was, had a straightforward meaning to those first disciples that stood on that mountain Peter says in Matthew 19, we have left everything to follow you. I'm not having a pop at you. God's speaking to me. Okay, the mechanics are not the same today. Because we cannot literally follow Jesus around spatially from place to place. So therefore we don't have to leave. But the, the inner intentions of the heart and the inner attitudes of Jesus' disciples are still the same. There's a decision to be made, the decision to devote ourselves to become like Jesus. We count the cost, we order our priorities, we align our heart's desires above all else to follow him. Amen? I mean, Jesus doesn't mess about. If you think Dallas Willard kicks... Where do you hear Jesus in Luke 14? Jesus gives an extended teaching on counting the cost and ordering our priorities to be disciples. I'll read a little bit of it. Luke 14, 16. I've preached on this, actually, or someone else did, I don't know. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those invited, Come now, everything's ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and must go see it. Please excuse me. Another one says, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. And the other one said, please excuse me. I've just got a woman. Actually, it's very nice in the NIV. I've just got married. So I've just got a woman and I need to go home. <laughs> and, and they all give their excuses. And Jesus kind of then says, oh, right, fine. These people don't want to come. So we go into the highways and byways and invite people in. And we think, oh, it's a lovely parable about how Jesus just invites other people in, the, the unexpected, the, the ones who don't expect to be invited. And we put ourselves in that category, don't we? But actually, we might be in the category of the five yoke and oxen, the fields, and the wife. We might be in that category. 
And then Jesus says, I tell you, not one of those invited will taste my banquet. But I was invited. I put my hand up in a meeting. I prayed the prayer, surely. And Jesus said, no, listen up. He says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, those that heard the parable. He turned to them and says, if anyone, you think now, Jesus, this is extreme. If anyone comes to, comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Don't be ridiculous, Jesus. I said, it's ridiculous. What? what are you, no, you can't really mean that, can you? you must, it must be metaphorical for something else. He's not saying you hate what he's talking about priorities, about aligning priorities. He's aligning your priorities. Mother, father, wife, children, brothers, sisters, family life. Your own priorities. They've got to come second to the song we sang at the beginning, Jesus, Lord, over all. When we think Jesus, Lord, over all, we think, well, that's handy, isn't it? He's kind of Lord over all this stuff out here the kind of crazy chaos of the world. But actually, the gospel advances on two frontiers, doesn't it? The one out there, to the uttermost part, to go and make disciples of all nations, and the one right in here. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Oh, Jesus, now stop. In the same way, those of you who don't leave everything cannot be disciples. Dallas Willard, commenting on this in the book, uh, The Great Omission, says, the non-disciple, whether inside or outside the church, it's interesting, you know, you can be outside the church in our category called Christian, has something more important to do or undertake than to be like Jesus Christ. He or she has bought a piece of ground or perhaps five yoke of oxen or taken a spouse. And then he says this, such lame excuses only reveal that... reveal that something on that dreary list of security, reputation, wealth, power, sensual distraction, and mere numbness still retains his or her indulgence or his or her ultimate allegiance. Jesus is telling me that. You know, I've been trying to... I'm not doing very well, Steve, actually. I asked Steve to, to monitor my, my, my Twitter time. And I put 45 minutes on it, so I thought, oh, that would be good. And, you know, by like 9.30, it's saying, you'll ignore limit. Do you know this? Does anyone else play this game? Or have you just not bothered? <laughs> ignore limit. And I was like, I'll go on 15 more minutes. You know, I'll check the Leeds team. And, and I think, the idolatry is in my heart. Okay, I, I say, there's yeah, some good Christian stuff on Twitter. I can find some nice articles. But I just think... What am I like? And then there's, there's football on. I mean, I'm not bothered about FA Cup weekend, although I should watch Leeds this afternoon. And, you know, I'm just like, what am I like? And then you're like, oh, what should we watch? And me and Emmy are talking about what box sets? Oh, they've been watching that. Oh, we watched that. Oh, let's watch that. And I think, what's my life like? I, 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 I was encouraged to go and see somebody during my holiday. And I felt a bit grumpy this person's quite vulnerable and they're not in the church, somebody's quite vulnerable and somebody had encouraged me to go see them and I thought, I'm just doing it because I feel obliged. Because if I don't do it, they'll rumble that I don't really care. So I thought, well, I'll go. You're shocked, aren't you? 
It's one person, it's not a couple, it's no one in this room. And I went, and I actually thought, this is a great thing to do. Spent like two and a half hours with this guy, he's quite vulnerable, and, and I just thought, this is a good thing to do. You know, but yeah, I'm thinking, now I've got my holiday, I've worked hard, I need a break, don't leave me alone, I need my Sabbath, da, 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 da. And I thought, no, that's not the way of Jesus. And then I'm reading in Dallas, I'm off my notes already, it's worrying. I'm reading Dallas Willard's book, and it says, if you feel grumpy when you're asked to do Jesus-y type, it didn't say Jesus-y, when you're asked to do Jesus things, God's got work to do in you. And I thought, oh God, you've got work to do in me. There's so many things on that lame excuses of security and reputation and wealth and power and sensual distraction and mere numbness that still retains my indulgence or my ultimate allegiance. Hey, but let's be positive God first. God first wants to take us back to the mountain. You all feel I've got at you, don't you think? Oh, I'm glad I've come this week. He's punching me between the eyes. God first wants to take us back to the mountain. You know, it was a two and a two or three journey back to the mountain. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to embed in them something. He wanted them to stand there on the same place where they'd heard the Sermon on the Mount and go, click. That's what it means to make disciples. He could have told them in Jerusalem, couldn't he? It would have saved them all a journey. But he wanted them to say, look, remember... Remember what I said, it's about transformation of the heart, it's about actions that live and change you and go differently. It's about living it a different way. Here are the words he said, he wanted them to remember this. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your, is it there? Good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven. Whoever teaches and practices these commandments will be great in the, in the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Hang on, Jesus. But the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and say it, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So it's no surprise when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, because that's the journey they've been on. Now, we've got a problem with that. I need to watch the clock. We're doing okay. We've got a problem with this, haven't we? We've got a problem with obey. We've got a problem with commands. And we've even got a problem with good deeds. Why have we got a problem with obey and commands? Because expressive individualism means, don't you tell me what to do. You know, how dare you? I'm my own thing, I'm the captain of my own ship, the, the master of my own soul, my, the king of my own destiny. Don't tell me what to do. But also, there's a theological thing. We're a bit nervous about good deeds. I didn't know whether to put this on or not. You can tell me afterwards whether I should include it or not. You might think, no, you're geeking out, unnecessary. Tim will like it. Thank you, Tim. 500 years ago, it was all about good deeds. Being a Christian, what 500 years ago was all about good deeds. It was all about uh, uh, the Catholic Church at the time. It was all about do this, do this, do this, do this, and you'll get your way to heaven. You'll earn your way to heaven if you do these things. If you pray this and do this and fast this and give this and do this and do this, then you'll get to heaven if you do these things. And there's a monk called Martin Luther who just felt terrible. He just felt, I can't do it, I can't do it. I can't do it. I just try and he tried harder and harder and he just tried harder. Harder and harder and just felt worse and worse. And he thought, 
It's killing me. Obey everything you've commanded me, Jesus. It's impossible. I can't do it. And then he read this. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, and righteousness is by faith from first to last. You think, oh, it's great. I've become a Christian because I believe by faith. Yes. You're tracking with me? So we thought, okay, so it's not about good deeds, is it? It's about Say it, faith. It is about faith. It's not about good deeds. So we kind of took good deeds and say, no, it's about faith. And Paul says in, in, in Romans, uh, further on in, the, in Romans, says, for we maintain a person is justified, that means made right with God, uh, by faith apart from works of the law. Salvation is a gift of God. It's a gift of grace. You can't earn it by works. So what do we do with works? I, I need something to be works. I shall take my bag. Here's my bag of works. That I've been trying to fill up. And we said, look, this has been getting me to heaven. You know, I'm doing my best to do these works, get to heaven. And then Martin Luther says, no, 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 it's by faith. It's not by works. So we, what did we do with good works? Because that's by faith, isn't it? Now, you're all struggling, aren't you now? You're struggling. The slogan of the Reformation, because that was it 500 years ago, was Christ alone faith alone, grace alone. How does, does it matter then how Christians live? Yeah, yeah but no, but yeah, but no, but... <laughs> well, no, because it doesn't... In one sense, you're saved by faith, but actually, that faith shows itself in how you live. In fact, Martin Luther was a bit of an idiot at times. He didn't get on well with his wife, and he said stupid things about Jewish people. So, you know, even though we like him as a, the hero of the Reformation, he called James's letter uh, uh, the, the, the epistle of straw. But James writes this. James is Jesus' brother. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Well, James, I'm not sure. I've just read Romans, I'm not sure. Faith by itself if not accompanied by action, is dead. He actually says, in the, if you read it in full, he says, if you see someone in need, you see someone in the Christmas holidays who's in need and needs care, and you say to them, be good, bless you, man, <laughs> you know, it's fine. You know, he says, what good, what, what good is that? What, what good is that? He says, that's no good to anybody. It's not faith. And he says, he says, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But if you say, I have faith, you have faith, but someone will say, I have faith. You, sorry, that's my dyslexia kicking in. We'll read again, 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Get to heaven when you die? Good. Even the demons believe that one. Are they going to heaven? So what do we do with this? There's a little sidebar. Well, that's why we're nervous about works. And I'm not calling us to works righteousness. And I'm talking to, But we kind of don't know. We kind of flip-flop. So I made this little seesaw. It's not very good, but it's my best example of... Well, we, we kind of, you know, we're like, you know. We do loads of things, don't we? You know, are we a Holy Spirit church? Are we a Bible church? And that's stupid. We set up these false things. And we can do this. You can think, right, it is all about this. It's all about good works. I'm going to do my good works 
In fact, I'm going to be such good at keeping the rules, I'm going to be checking whether you're keeping them. Definitely checking you. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, and don't people think that's what church is like? We're sort of self-righteous, finger-pointing, rule-keeping. Why would I want to go to church? Yeah? Some people think that, don't they? Why would I go to church? Because we think it's all about the rules. Oh, we say, no, it's not about the rules. I'm saved. I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. It's not about the rules. I do what I want. I'm, I go on a holiday with my girlfriend. Okay, we're not married yet. You know, we'll share a bed. We're not really. That's fine. My money, that's my own business. What I do with my time, that's... Ah, I'm, I'm saved. It's fine. Don't, blow me, don't, worry, don't bother me with the details. And we wonder why people outside the church think we're hypocrites. We're the finger-pointing Pharisees or hypocrites. Why do people think we're hypocrites? Because they struggle to account for the discrepancy between what they see and what we say. I, I, I play golf with this guy, and, he, and we, we, we frequently end up talking about another church leader that's bitten the dust. Because he's had an affair, or his fingers are in the till, or he's controlling, or he's a cult lead. You know, and we talk about it. And, and, and my, 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 my guy I play golf with, he's lovely, and he used to go to church, and he just says, well, I don't expect anything different. I said, no, we should be different. I said, it does upset me. I nearly said his name there. It does upset me that, there is a, that it should be different, shouldn't it? Now, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm not pointing the finger. I'm just saying how we live matters. So we've got this problem, haven't we, with works. What do we do with works? And you go away thinking, oh, Howard just wants us to do works. I don't. I want us to be like Jesus. Do you want to be like Jesus? So our failure to fulfill the Great Commission, I believe, is because of the Great Omission, as Dallas Willard calls it. Our failure to truly live our lives shaped by Jesus' disciples. But the big question, and I'm landing here, the big question is how? How? So hopefully I've persuaded you you need to be a follower of Jesus that lives like Jesus, that spends time with Jesus, that, does, that, 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 that becomes more like Jesus and does kind of Jesus' stuff. Yeah? Hopefully I've persuaded you that's part of the package. You're not going to earn your way to heaven, but that's part of the package. But, but actually, how? I said I'm finishing and the band are all moving. It was a kind of I'm finishing Howard finishing. It's not like <laughs> I'm, I've got a minute or two more. Go on. Okay, where are we up to? So, so how are we changed then? How do we become, how do we do the works? This, this is really how it works, isn't it? What happens is, I preach a sermon on, say, generosity, and you all go, yay and amen, and go home and start double tithing and give you money to the poor, don't you? It's easy. Isn't that that what happens? Or or what happens is you read in the Bible, humble yourself under the Lord's mighty hand, and you go, oh, great, I will. Humble I am. (laughs) Voila, (laughs) it's done. It's so easy. Uh, or you, you know, you, you hear, love your enemies, says Jesus. You read it in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. And all those people have been horrible to you and all those people that have wronged you. And all, suddenly you're forgiving them and hugging them and saying, it's all fine, aren't you? No, it takes, it's not that easy, is it? 
You know, you know if someone hurts you, or you it takes effort to forgive them. You've got to like cycle around. You've got to forgive them, and then you've got to go again, and God does work in your heart, and then you, you go and forgive them again, and it's, it's like a process. It's not just bing. And the trouble is, it's not that simple, is it? It's not that simple. Becoming different isn't that simple. Does anybody make New Year's resolutions? No, it's a waste of time, isn't it? Because <laughs> you're already busted. You're already busted by now. You know, if I preach this on the second, some of you might have been hanging on there. <laughs> but you're already busted by now. Because you can't do it. You can't just do it by wishing and willpower. There's other things at work. Let me give you an example. Uh, like, and it, who speaks a foreign language here that they've learnt as opposed to they, they were a native speaker. Put your hand if you've learned a foreign language. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six of us. Not me. <laughs> From Yorkshire, for goodness sake, you know. You should have done the French lessons in Yorkshire. <laughs> you know, we're struggling to speak English. <laughs> you know, but imagine... So, I, I read, a long, again, a long, a long a, a thing in Dallas Willow's book, but it says... Americans and English people, native English speakers, think it's impossible for me to learn another language, isn't it? It's impossible. But yet, you know, if you're from Holland, hey, there must be something in the water in Holland, yeah? I'm sounding Michael McIntyre. <laughs> you know, there's, you know there, there must be something genetic about the Dutch. You know, they, the fact that they're taller and good-looking. They, they just learn languages. They're just brilliant. You know, they, they, they could speak German. They speak German, French, whatever. You know, it's, 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 it's easy. They just, they can do it. Voila! Is that French? <laughs> I know it means, and there it is. Okay, and, 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 but the truth is that non-English, for non-English speakers, the benefits of learning English opens up a new world. It makes the, the, it makes the, the cost in terms of time and effort expended an absolute non-negotiable imperative. An absolute, non-negotiable imperative. I have to learn English if I'm going to navigate in this world. Why don't we learn English? Because the benefits of being able to order two beers in French are not really worth it because they can speak English anyway. They might look cross at you, but they'll still take your euros. <laughs> it's just optional for us, isn't it? And we kind of like that with discipleship. Spiritual transformation seems impossible because it requires, it's really for heavy duty uh, super discipleships or people, who, who's, people who've done, you know, uh, masters uh, in, in other languages. It's not really for us normal folks. So we believe that spiritual growth to Jesus is optional for your normal church going Christian. So we opt out and become non disciples uh, and give ourselves to our field, our oxen, our sports, our box sets, our kitchen extension, etc. I really am finishing now, band, wherever they are. G.K. Chesterton, who, actually, I wanted to put a picture of him because he looks like the most bizarre English gentleman. <laughs> there he is with his fag. He wasn't a Christian. He's like, you know, pontificating in the 1950s about philosophy. He said this. Christian discipleship has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. That's us. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to try and say, how do we change? I'm, not, I'm just going to give you headlines and then we're going to look at it for a few weeks. I've whet your appetite or I've put you off and you think, oh, it's a strange and extreme cult and I'm not coming back. 
Either way, okay, so put that little map, I drew, the little diagram. I tried my best to make this cool, but you can tell it's me and not our graphic designer, can't you? <laughs> so we're, we're basically changed by the stories we believe, our worldview, the stories we believe, the stories of what we think about the world, the narrative of the world, the flow of the world, what the, what the purpose of the world, what's it's all about, what's the ending, what's the beginning, where are we in the story, we're changed by that, we're changed by our worldview, we're changed by our experiences, boom, we're changed by the bad things that happen to us, the challenging things to happen, the, the, the seven, eight weeks that we're in, in bed with a prolapsed disc, those things, we're changed by those experiences, we're changed by good experiences, we're changed by those moments of encounter with the Holy Spirit, those times when God comes and reveals things and does things, we're changed by those. We're changed by the people, the community we're around, we're changed by, by being with us. So when we reboot our small groups in, 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 in end of February, beginning of March, you're all going to sign up and be there, right? Because you need it. It's being in community is part of it. This is what we're doing here. You're changed by your loves. It's more profound, it's more complex, but we're all kind of worshippers. And actually what really drives us is what we really love. And what we really love sometimes really shocks us. Because the things we really pursue are the things that really are God. The things that we really put first, the, the idols, as it were. And sometimes that's shocking. But actually, the Spirit of God is poured in our lives. It, God, it says in Romans, God has poured out his love into our lives by the Holy Spirit because he comes by his Spirit to, to change us right on the very inside. And the last thing is we're changed by, by, our, by our habits, by our routines by looking at our phone too much, by what we do, by any number of day-to-day, -day, seemingly mundane things are all shaping us and forming us. So we're going to look at those things, and at the end of the year, we're all going to be incredibly Jesus-y. And it's going to be lovely to be here. No, you're actually really good. I, I, think, I, I was feeling as I was finishing off, actually, we're not too bad. But that doesn't give us place for complacency, eh? We want to be like Jesus, don't we? We want to walk with him. Right, let's, let's break bread. Band, badoom. They've been waiting in the wings for a week and a half. How long? Oh, no. Naomi said, don't mention the time. I just did, and you all looked at you watching. Oh, he went wrong on a long time. So we're going to break bread now. When we break bread, it's a, an entry into Jesus' story, isn't it? It's saying that, we, that our story his, is his broken, his, his perfect life, his broken body, his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins, that we put our, we put our trust in that. that it's, we don't put our trust in, in our good works, we put our trust in that. And when we, when we take bread and wine, we say, we put our trust in that. We, that's our story, we live there. That sounded like I was... We could do with like some earthquake music and it would like make it like... You know, like the end of a movie. We change by our experiences. This is an experience. You know, it's actually a physical thing you do. It's not an idea. We say, now, I imagine that you were there. La, la. No, we do it. It's an experience. We do it. It's embodied. We, we, we do it. We break bread. We, it's a habit. It's a practice. It's something we do. It's an experience. You can meet God right here in this moment. Yeah, we're not Catholics who believe that actually physically taking it is, is it physically Jesus? But you can experience Jesus right in this moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can come forward and, and you can take the bread and you can take the cup back to your seat and the, and the Spirit of God can just pour his love in your life. He can put his hand on you. 
You could say it's been a year of contrast. It's going to be a year of contrast, but you say, it's all right, don't fear, I've got you. We do it together. The Anglicans, don't they say, though we are many, we are one body, because we all share the one loaf. That was one loaf. I know it looks like pieces of gluten-free. We're one body, we share it together. We come because he first loved us. We come and say, Jesus, I love you. This isn't saving me, but it's saying I, I come. And, and you know, in one sense, I want you to come this morning and say, Jesus, I love you. I love you more than my other priorities. I love you more than my finances, my time, my diary, my family. I love you more than even my own selfish pride and ambition. I love you more than my own indulgences. And we do this every week because it's a good habit. Jesus says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why? Because we're formed by our habits. Coming to church is a great habit. It's a great practice. It forms you. It helps you to be like Jesus. For all you empty seats who haven't come, shame on you. <laughs> so let's come. Let's come and take and eat live his story, experience his blessing, do it together, have him shape our desires and loves. Let's do it again and again. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.